Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Tape Crusaders, the last one, probably, until Zack Snyder farts out another gloomy think piece music video. But for uh, the foreseeable future, this will be it in terms of The Tape Crusaders. And then we'll do non-Batman things, maybe even non-superhero things at some point. But for now, we still have to do this, and we're going out with a bang with Batman the Animated Series, the the most beloved Batman property there is potentially. We're going to talk it up. Who's we? Me. I'm Matt Waters. I am the host, sort of, and I host on behalf of the the hated online Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to watch and discuss things that are not Batman, which is exactly what everyone wants to hear before an extensive rundown of Batman the Animated Series, of course, but... Uh, We're saving something very good until the end. Maybe it's not your absolute favourite thing in the world, we'll talk about that at the end, but you can't you can't argue it. it, it's a pretty good thing to close on. That is true. Okay, so, Batman the Animated Series, uh, quite a difficult thing to discuss in the course of one episode. It aired for... I mean, if you include the new Batman Adventures, which they kind of retroactively do, it aired for like seven years with 109 combined episodes so that's quite a lot so uh as we've said in the run-up to this episode we uh well i basically took several notable lists of the top 10 batman episodes ever the top 20 whatever uh merged them added my own sort of personal flair to it created a list of 15 really good episodes for us to watch and we did that i also watched a bunch of extra ones around it just because i couldn't help myself but you know we i think from the list we generated which you can go find i mean i'm not going to read it all again because it's not in front of me so i'm not going to i think it gave a pretty good varied look at the whole show and will give us uh, some stuff to talk about uh you, know, like you definitely get a flavor for what it was all about some very varied stuff in there so just very quickly the the show came about created by bruce tim and eric radomsky uh, you'll also hear about Paul Dini and Alan Burnett as key writers. Inspired slightly by Tim Burton's Batman films, largely the kind of darker tone and the very ambiguous time period. The The opening theme is slightly similar to some of the music uh, done for Batman 89, that kind of thing. But they, do, they didn't want to be too tied to it, but it's loosely inspired from it. They actually got a lot of resistance from Warner Bros. while they were trying to get it on the air. But because Batman 89 came out while they were developing it and was a huge success, they basically uh, got more of a thumbs up and then they went and did it and it became one of the most revered cartoons in the history of animation, one of the most revered Batman projects in the history of Batman. And then there was later the new Batman Adventures, which was like a cheaper version with a slightly different look and they they packaged that in as volume four of Batman the Animated Series. So if you have the DVD sets... It all just blends together as one, but it is technically two shows. But we are talking a couple of episodes from that. So, Mike, you're a human being who who grew up in the last couple of decades. You must have been a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series as a child. Yes, it was was definitely this and X-Men, as you and I have talked about a lot before. These were the big shows. There was something that... As a kid, I've off, I often think about like what about them really um, drew me to them because they're both pretty different in a lot of ways. They are. Uh, Batman is a very dreary look and tone a lot of the time. X Men is very colorful, 
Batman is almost entirely episodic. X-Men is almost entirely serialized. But there was something about both shows just hit the right note of where it's like you felt like you're watching something just a little bit better than what you got from your other your typical cartoon. Yes. And looking back now, it's it was interesting. I hadn't rewatched any of them in a, in a few years, and it's not. You're gonna say things that are gonna upset me over the next hour, aren't you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> it, but it's not that I'm negative on them. It's more. I think with Batman, it's when doing it, making it so episodic, making it entirely episodic, and when your episodes are 20 minutes of content long, yes, hashtag content, <laughs> it's hard to tell, it's hard to do some of the stories justice. Not all the stories, but some of the stories justice. You know, like, I, I'd rather take the long form Sub Zero than Heart of Ice. Not to say that. Oh my Heart God. Of Ice, Heart of Ice is a better episode of television than Sub-Zero is a TV movie. By but far! Rather, <laughs> I, I know, but I, 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 some of these stories need to breathe a little bit more. And uh, so, I mean, to be fair, we get plenty of two-parters in Batman, for sure. Mm-hmm. And including the ones we looked at today. But some sometimes with these, I was just like, man, I, I can just, let's just keep going with this. We don't need to settle for 20 or even just 40 minutes some of the times. But um, that that's like just a broad thought that I... I don't know how well Batman works in twenty minute spurts. I don't know if you can capture. I think it was like I think a classic problem with that is that if you only have twenty minutes and it's called Batman, like you you're gonna want to spend most of your time with Batman, and you can't. And then like Alfred, you know, he's just kind of scenery there. I mean, like he's like he's he's there. He exists. You get a sense of him, but it's very much like Jeremy Irons and Batman versus the Superman, where he's just kind of curmudgeonly and sarcastic and while entertaining you don't really get to know him same thing with gordon i i just want a little bit more from the the regular parts of the world that i think like maybe 35 maybe 40 minutes regularly would work better with some of these things but you know that's just me being a little nitpicky you should watch the new batman adventures because they they deliberately focused on more of the supporting cast did they yeah i guess i should do that then maybe but yeah i mean overall this was still very interesting. A yeah. lot of the stories were really cool. I love. I mean, granted, so many episodes you of the list you curated are kind of like special episodes in that yeah. they break the formula a lot. And I think I really like those episodes just for like they went there, they did something different, they took a completely different approach. And in some ways, I do think that's the most effective way to approach Batman. While obviously you and I have a big fondness for the Nolan Batmans and all that, and uh, I think there's something to be said though. Like, I almost wonder if the best thing for Batman is if like every two years they just like release like an 80 minute movie, maybe <laughs> and that, that's just completely different, completely different filmmakers, different cast. Like, just like tell the best story you can in 80 minutes with this entire world that exists within Batman, and um, I don't know, sure. I I can dig that for sure. Okay, well. To jump back a little bit, when you said about... It's a common thing. People talk about Batman the Animated Series, they talk about X-Men the Animated Series. And for a long time, having been obsessed with both as a kid and not seen a second of either of them for years, in my head it was like, which one's better? Which one's better? And then I still had that opinion up to when we were doing uh, Excellent Adventures. 
And when we got to X-Men the Animated Series, I think you actually were very... I guess you had watched some of it before and, and had had this... The, had what I did, where it's like, oh, turns out this wasn't... This isn't actually as good when you're older and you come back to it as it was in your head. Whereas Batman, I think, uh, holds up. And I, yes. I, I think now, as an adult person... Batman the Animated Series is, is clearly much better than X-Men the Animated Series. Yeah, yes. Yes. It's like exactly as I remember, and it holds up at the same time. Yeah. It's like my idea of what X-Men the Animated Series was is a lot hackier yeah, <laughs> in yeah, actuality yeah. than what I <laughs> always imagined it was in my head. For well, years. you think of it as like the greatest hits of X-Men and all these sort of big battles and like oh revelations and Jean Grey's yeah. dead but now she's alive and you watch it and it's like super hammy and <laughs> anyway your other big point you made I could not disagree with you more about 20 minutes episodes not being enough I think it works perfectly at essentially every episode is a one-shot comic of Batman and we've talked before yes. about how you know Batman is such a legendary character you don't really want an ongoing Batman series you want just random here's a Batman story and I see every episode like that. Not all of them are amazing. Yes. There's one where he gets amnesia and ends up working in like a mining colony and then leads a revolution and then remembers he's Batman. Pretty bad. Um, but a lot of them are excellent and they're really varied. Like you say how, you know, you want to spend most of your time with Batman. There are some where Batman is like barely in it. For sure. And I like how they took a lot of chances. Like this is... a essentially like a Saturday morning kids cartoon uh, aimed at children, uh, which is probably why you have the 20 minutes sort of cut down. Everything's very streamlined. But they do a lot of stuff that's quite weird and quite sort of like uh, adult mainstream TV oriented with high concept episodes, which like you start the episode and everything's like a dream world or, or, or things aren't as they should be like in uh, Perchance to Dream and Over the Edge, like both of those, it's like wait, what's happening? And an episode where Batman is, everyone's telling you Batman's dead for <laughs> like 17 of the 21 minutes or something like that, or even maybe 18 so they, they did take a lot of risks I think, and I do really appreciate that about that it, it never really felt formulaic to me, and again uh, I haven't watched all 85 of the episodes, perhaps doing that again will reveal that to me but uh i would say i watched about 30 episodes for this and yeah they all they all feel relatively isolated and i think that's to its strength um that you can just say here's a batman story and they tell it in 20 minutes you're in you're out they don't do too much exposition like you generally hit the ground running uh, that's that's one of my favorite things about it is particularly with the villains you don't get these huge long origin stories there are a few uh, two face becomes two face as part of a two part episode uh, scarecrow you see him sort of flash back to how he got started but generally you are just met with here is this villain he is fully formed he is that character go and you get it and it works and I think the films could probably learn a little something from that I know that like Logic dictates you have to see how their journey started so you can go with them emotionally and whatnot. And that's a fair point. But you look at an episode like Heart of Ice with Mr. Freeze, who is Mr. Freeze when you start that episode, and he's Mr. Freeze when you end that episode, and you get a very small bit where, you know, he explains about Nora, uh, and it's it's like a flashback, but it's not a flashback, and it's great. And 
yeah, I, I, I really love the 20-minute the format is what I'm getting at in a very long-winded way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think what you touched on something important there, which is the, the formula that they use for the show leads to a lot of hits and leads to a lot of misses. But I think, though, I mean, the hits definitely just, like, outweigh the misses for sure. Or that, yeah. That's not even in doubt. It was, you know, I think it was something for me, I, I always, like, I want to push things to be better. And I think this is a classic example of, like, one day we're going to reach a point, whether it's with streaming services or just cable companies getting their shit together, like, there needs to be more flexibility in how people can tell their stories. Like, there are, like, a handful of episodes that are surprisingly good for 20 minutes. Actually, probably two of my favorites that we watched were actually pretty great for 20 minutes. Uh, or, like, I don't know how much more I would have wanted them. But, um, you know, I just think just more like, okay, this episode needs to be 35. This episode needs to be 27. This needs episode be, like, that's why I just like. <laughs> sure. And it's and, and that's you, like picky. And it's like, it doesn't really account for when the show was made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, I mean, that doesn't, nevertheless, like, you watch it like, this episode's too short. This episode's too long, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Anyway. Dan Harmon but, talked uh, about that when he took Community to Yahoo and, like, you know, for better or worse. He, he yeah. did like the freedom of saying, if I want this episode to be 18 minutes, it can be. If I want this one to be 26 yeah. minutes, it can be. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, that's like, I think a weakness of Netflix is that so many of their shows, I'm just like, why is this 13 episodes? Like, clearly this is only eight episodes. Uh, <laughs> or why, why are you making every episode 50 plus minutes? Not every episode needs to be 50 plus minutes. Indeed. But yeah, so this is a very cool Batman thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, that's, it's such a dumbest way of putting it, but it's just like, of all the Batman things we watch, this is still one of the most ambitious. And, um, for sure, for sure. Holds up very well. It really does. It doesn't I... feel quite as hacky as, as X-Men does. Like, X-Men feels really hacky, really hammy. And yeah. this just is like, no, well, it's just a solid cartoon that if it wasn't, modern kids animation looks like such shit that it wouldn't fit in with that. Yeah. But everything else about it, you'd be like, yeah, this is this is a pretty good cartoon that they just made. Yeah. Only it came out 20 years ago. Well, a lot of that is out. in, I mean, it, it, it's really well written. It's got an amazing yeah. voice cast. It's or- yeah. It's got an orchestral score. And the visuals are phenomenal. I know you're not a huge visual guy. But the the sort of neo art deco style with everything quite dark, but you can not dark to the point you can't tell what's going on. Like it's vibrant yeah. but dark. That doesn't make sense, but that's the only way I can describe it. The big title like, cards at the beginning of every episode yeah. are amazing. Just the yeah. tone of it is is so yeah. good. I mean, like compared to something like eighty nine Batman, where even if you love that, like you're still acknowledging that there's a campiness to it mm-hmm. that you either enjoy or you're you don't think it ages well you know like yeah it's one or the other i hear like this man just to age well which is kind of bizarre and they Uh, do it without him being (laughs) sort of gravel voiced all in black in the shadows broody as hell none of that is there like he's wearing this gray costume with the black underwear over it as bruce wayne he is somewhat friendly and nice and cracking jokes even as batman he he does little one-liners and there are really goofy moments, but it still it, it never feels campy. Really, like it, it feels like it's all treated with reverence, and yeah, I I love that about it. It's the the show is taken seriously, but the show doesn't take itself too yes, seriously. There you go. They use realistic looking guns, which is not a thing that happened in cartoons. Like, and there was always like I don't know the the sort of threat of violence seems more legitimate than a lot of kids' cartoons, uh, and they get around it in really interesting ways. Like um, 
Robin's reckoning the the two part episode with what happened to Robin, etc. Uh, when the when his parents die, the Graysons, the way they show that is really clever because you see them swinging on the on the high rope and everything, and then you cut away to the crowd who react in horror. You hear the sound of the rope snapping, and then when you come back, you have an extreme close up on the silhouette of the snapped rope, and it's just such a good way of getting around this tremendously violent thing that happened and like you get it as a kid but you're not like traumatized by it i think it's so clever the way they do things like that yeah it's it's a far more visually interesting it's actually probably is it the most visually interesting batman we've seen i think so by far yeah yeah yeah. Um, just so many great moments and the, the way that you shadow and everything and you get these great moments with joker standing in darkness and like his his brilliant white eyes and teeth and everything showing through. Oh, it's just great. Looking at it is, is a treat. I think. Yeah, it, it it just really holds up. Like there are a few moments here and there where you're like, oh, that's from the nineties. But generally, just the strength of the style uh, is such that it, it still does hold up. And then when we say that they take it seriously, but not too seriously, or whatever. I think the way they've set this tone up is such that it, it facilitates them doing... Like, one minute you're doing a story with generic plainclothes gangsters, Rupert Thorne, whatever. You may be doing some big character piece where you're dealing with genuine mental issues, like the first part of uh, of the Two-Face story. Taking a deep dive in someone's psyche, or Batman's dead and what happened there, big detective story. And then suddenly you're doing robots, and you're doing Clayface, and you're doing all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't really seem out of place. And it's talked about a lot that the very first episode, the villain is not Joker, it's not Two-Face, it's not Riddler, it's Man-Bat. And that's ostensibly a really strange choice. But I think it really helps establish what they're going for in that, like, yes, we're going to do some of the weirder, more wonderful things, but it's still going to be awesome and we are still going to do the more serious stuff. Uh, And, like, Demon's Quest, the Ra's al Ghul two-parter, that is, like, a really, like, old-school, silly, like, romp around the world that's kind of cheesy but it's good and it works and you get Batman topless still wearing the cowl sword fighting Ra's al Ghul next to like a volcano or, or, or something I don't remember like a big container of something and it, yeah nothing ever really feels out of place uh, it's not like oh wait now Mr. Freeze is here with a freeze gun it, it just all works I think and I think the the style and, and the seriousness with which they treat the material while still keeping it fun allows them to do that like you get all all iterations of Batman, and they're sort of all valid, but within one show. And that is what I think makes it such a great project, because Nolan's Batman and Batman 66 cannot be the same person. <laughs> Whereas this take on the show, while it is neither of those, it can dip its toe into any corner of the Batman universe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that about it a lot. So before we get into sort of like favourite episodes and whatnot, of the ones that we watched, and maybe some that we weren't as hot on, that are considered some of the best. I think we should talk briefly about uh, just kind of the treatment of the Bruce Wayne character, because, you know, we've done that in every episode, really. Like, it's, you know, how is this one portraying him? And I think it's surprising how, I said before, he's quite playful and, and friendly, and he's, like, both in and out of the suit. Like, he's doing one-liners as Batman, he's a lot more friendly and outgoing as Bruce. Like, this isn't him doing dumb playboy. Uh, Like, he's a far more sort of 
proactive person, but he still isn't giving the game away that he's Batman. But then at the same time, you do have this idea that uh, like when he's wearing the Batman suit, he refers to Bruce Wayne like as if that's a separate person. And when Raish knows his identity, he feels the need to pull the cowl on, even though Raish knows and he's standing right in front of him and he's seen him unmasked, he still feels that need to put that cowl on. Kevin Conroy uh, famously uses uh, two voices, like one for Bruce, one for Batman. So you kind of get both sides there. You get a more jovial Batman than is the current stereotype of him where he's just scowling all the time and hates joy. But you also do get... It, he's not completely all out and out whiter than white boy scale. Like you, you do still get those darker elements. Now, I, I personally really love this take on Bruce Wayne. I think Kevin Conroy is the definitive Batman. Personally, what is your take on like how they treat Bruce, how they treat Batman, etc.? It's good. It's good. <laughs> I think the episodes. No, I'm not trying to turn this into favorite episodes, but I thought perchance to dream. Perchance, yes, perchance to dream. I think what's interesting is that part. You almost wonder if, like, different writers had different takes on Batman. It's kind of like The Office with uh, Michael Scott, how different writers were just like, well, I like writing Michael as, like, a petulant little child. I like writing Michael as, like, a nice, kind-hearted fool. Yeah. And, like, so you would get, like, this schizophrenic version of Michael. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> and it was literally just, like, different writers just like, this is how I think, this is how I make him funniest. So that's how they wrote for him. And at times, I kind of feel like, that was the case for Batman, not in a bad way, but just like in a complete way in some ways. But the, Perchance for Dream, I think, was that to me is the, probably the best episode, especially when you're talking about Bruce, where it was just it was just such a forcing Bruce, whether he realized it or not, and the answer is probably not, to just like recognize, hey, you are just you have to be Batman. Stop kidding yourself. Like, like <laughs> you feel you want to be Batman more than anyone could possibly need you to be Batman. And until that's done, until you reconcile that, you'll never be free. Like, this is just who you are determined to be. Nothing else can top this for you. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, like, your parents' death is your excuse to continue on. It's not. 100%. Um, yeah. it unlo- I, I really like the idea that uh, his parents' death just. In many ways, it freed him to be Batman. It didn't yeah. sentence him or condemn him to be Batman. It let him be that person who he was. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because um, while you know his parents don't die, he never would become Batman. Obviously, like there's yeah. just certain logistics to it. It's important for Bruce and the audience to understand that this is this is a choice still, and it's a choice that he makes every single day. Yeah. I feel a lot of projects, they do make it seem like it's some sort of tortured, indentured duty yes. he has. And I think this does a good job of, you know, clearly it's not a pleasant life. And, like, there are aspects where he has to struggle with it. But it also doesn't seem like a like a death sentence or anything. It's like, he, he likes being Batman, and he, he's doing yeah. good. And it doesn't seem like he's overly tortured. Yeah. With that in mind, like, I didn't like it quite as much in The Trial, which was a really clever episode. Batman uh, gets kidnapped by the rogues gallery, a district attorney or someone who is trying to to outlaw Batman is forced to defend Batman against the rogues gallery. Joker plays the judge. Harvey Dent plays the prosecutor, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I feel like with that episode, they kind of made excuses for Batman that felt, especially for me as based on the, I mean, by coincidence, 
the order you listed them, I, that's the order I watched them in. So it came right after Perchance to Dream, and I was just like, you know what? This uh, this show is really mature. It's got a really mature take on Batman. It's not making excuses for him. Boom! Episode where <laughs> the conclusion is, don't worry, Batman. None of these problems in Gotham are your fault. Everyone's just a psychopath. Yeah. You're doing the right thing. I feel the and, concept of the trial is amazing. I just yes, they just didn't yes. stick the landing. Like if you tell yes. me. Gotham's Rose Gallery in Arkham Asylum put Batman on trial. Two faces the prosecutor, Joker's the judge. Go, that sounds amazing. Like, but yes, instead, instead his uh, his lawyer kind of she basically cheats, <laughs> like she sort of manipulates each witness into yeah. seeming like a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, and um, I thought that was that felt a little weird after mm. Perchance to Dream. Yeah. Um, but then that's like. I don't, like, that's probably one of the few examples. Like, a lot of times with Batman the Animated Series, I'm like, hit, miss, hit, miss. This one felt a little bit more in between because the concept was so cool. Yeah. They but, tried like, something. Felt, like, like, they were, yes, they were ambitious. It felt, like, it felt like a disservice to themselves in their overall conception yeah. of who the groups was. And, um, it feels like if, yeah, those, you, if you gave them, like, a second try at it or said, okay, go away yeah. for a bit, come back, give us this again. And I don't even know what order they came in with. I should kind of just look that up, but even so, like, yeah. So the trial came after. Yeah, I think it's quite. It's one of those things where you wonder about the process of the of making the show a little bit, Mm -hmm. because it feels like the people who made Perchance a Dream couldn't have made the trial, and maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know, but it's uh, it's a little interesting to me. But those are the two big episodes I think of when I think of who Bruce is in the show. It's that they have a really good idea who he is, but sometimes they forget. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Okay, uh, so aside from Bruce, uh, our big thing here is, and we touched on it a little bit, the Rogues Gallery. This show basically hits almost every single one of them. I think a strength is they don't all appear all the time. Joker has the most appearances, obviously, but even he would just vanish for like five, six episodes at a time, and he's not in the very first one, obviously. And by sort of bringing people in and then sending them away and then bringing them back, I think that it's good, like you don't get too oversaturated with them. Obviously... I I think a lot of them will appear in... Like, the the nature of this list we've generated makes it seem like they're more ubiquitous than they potentially actually are. Like, several of them appear multiple times in these ones. But generally, the I love the treatments of almost all of these characters, uh, all the villains, especially the key ones. And one of the biggest legacy things for the show, aside from the creation of Harley Quinn, who's now one of the most popular characters in all of fiction is sort of new takes on these villains, like making Mr. Freeze this sympathetic, tragic villain. Not an anti-hero, but, you know, he has good intentions in his own twisted way. Before that, he's just a generic mad scientist. He's not popular. He hasn't appeared properly in decades. They do this with him in uh, Heart of Ice. It becomes the take on Mr. Freeze. You get Batman and Robin, for better or worse. You get Sub-Zero, etc., etc., uh, Two Face. They, I think, they were the first people to suggest maybe Harvey always had a bit of a split personality or an anger problem. Some people don't like this take on Harvey. Doesn't matter. I do think it's interesting that they went there with it and and sort of tried something a bit different. Uh, Poison Ivy is kind of there's a sort of melancholy to her. She's a little bit depressed. Um, just so many characters, and I I love most of the takes on them. Uh, so, I mean, from from what you saw, what were so your big takeaways about about the villains and how they're treated versus the other films, the other shows, whatnot? Yeah, I mean, as you said, as we talked about, I mean, Mr. Freeze is just phenomenal. Um, you wouldn't want to overdo it 
it'd be a tricky thing as we'd learned to pull off on film. But as we talked about again after, during Sub Zero and opposite during Batman and Robin, Arnold really nails a lot of the, the emotional moments of Batman and Robin. It's probably the highlight of those films, just the tragedy of him. And uh, that's great. I think the, the idea that Two Face Harvey was prone to this is great. Yes. I think that this being the the thing that like him being pushed over the edge, I think that's great. Yeah. They did it in such a there was so little subtlety in how they executed it though that it took away yeah. from it. it took it away from it for me. Um like he's just over the top. Like he's a crazy person at the start, really. <laughs> um like he just like snaps on people all the time and yeah. it's I think like part of the key of the dark the success of the Dark Knight is that like it's just like Harvey Dent's a hero in the story for the first hour and a half of the movie. Yeah. You do get a very brief hint when he's trying to intimidate one of Joker's yeah. henchmen and like you can kind of see they might be dipping into this treatment of him. Um, but, but this is like he's basically two face already. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> he's just not quite a villain yet. <laughs> I really like um, the idea though that like the accident in some ways mentally helps him because it gives him a justification to do that where he yes. can say this is this side this is that side rather than constantly yeah. wrestling with it and there are loads yeah. of two-faced stories where he gets semi-cured or whatever and then he chooses to uh-huh. do it to himself again and we we saw one uh-huh. of those in uh don't know returns but yeah i it again they they had an ambitious idea and they didn't quite stick the landing but i think i think he's actually better after his episode, like when he appears in other ones, I think he's he's stronger. There's a little bit more subtlety to him. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the big thing with him is that he needs, like I think with anything Dark Knight, we as we talked discussed, like rushed it a little bit, and it felt like he was such a hero that it was such a shock to see him just being the bad guy in the end, or at least the guy that needed to be taken down in the end. There, there's there's a balance to be found. Like he has to be a little unsettled a little but it has to be like it has to come from a place of being like you know this is bullshit i'm failing over and over and over again why isn't anyone stepping up and doing something about it and then he has his excuse to basically let's see i feed a clay clayface despite being the stupidest (laughs) character that at least we saw here tonally doesn't fit with batman really at all in a lot of ways just because he's just so science fictiony it's uh it's so ridiculous and again there was definitely a lack of subtlety here even though they had much like harvey they had two episodes but it still felt a little rushed he's a tragic he's a tragic character yeah it's um, a very tragic character a character that i think again much like mr freeze i would like to see what they could do with him in a movie i think it's a hard tone to pull off i can't i don't know who would be able to pull it off but if they pulled it off it would probably be awesome yeah, what do you um, think of Joker in this? I mean, we 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 haven't mentioned him was, barely at all. He was but... about who I was about to get to. Okay, I think I, I get the sense that you are a little bit cooler on Mark Hamill Joker than a lot of people are. Yes, uh, I I I think I just want a more down to earth. He's a little too comedic. There's still a little too much sixty six in him for where the show is but then there's times where they nail it he's always very entertaining very watchable yeah there's something oddly comforting about his appearance but you're always like okay here we go <laughs> <laughs> like i think 
because of how frequently it appears, the lack of serialization kind of messes with it a little bit. Because mm. it's just like, oh, he's out again. Yeah, oh, you do get a lot of that. Again. Like, there are episodes yeah. that just end with, he's caught, and then he's just back out. You never really see yeah. him break out, he's just back. Yeah. I think he that is a casualty of the completely episodic way they tell a story. However, the episode of Mad Love... Mm. was took the most fucked up approach to Harley Joker <laughs> that I feel like anyone could possibly take. And they kept threatening to save it. And then they just threw it out the window again. And how do you mean? I, like, if you're going to tell a fucked up domestic violence allegory, and they came close to actually ending with Harley being like, I will never fall for this again. Oh, but that's the point. Like it's a tragic. Like she almost, she almost yeah. learned a lesson, and then he just he because he's such a fucking asshole. But he couldn't let her again, have that. You, when, yes, but domestic violence is too serious of an issue to be treated the way it's treated here. <laughs> I, and the idea that hardly is in anything like to be popularized because of this is very weird. I really think they need to do like I, I like I think Harley herself as herself as a personality is a lot of fun and I get that aspect of it. Yeah. But uh, she needs more agency. It's too casually fucked up, and I think they romance. I think they come very dangerously close to romanticizing um, an incredibly fucked up domestic violence relationship, especially which with how endearing at times they want you to find the Joker. It's like, oh, he's a lovable clown. Like he's like he's not like actually a good person, but like he's psychotic in a fun way. I you want you want him on screen. Yes. He's 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 fun, but I don't know if they want you to think he's endearing. I think they do a lot of times. There are several episodes where Harley starts to see through it and many characters are trying to get through. there's there's one called um Harley and Ivy where Poison Ivy is essentially spending the whole episode being like, why are you doing this to yourself, essentially? And she's trying to get her away from Joker. And she very nearly almost learns her lesson, etc. Like the phrase, like, she learned her lesson. Like, that's such a fucked up way of discussing domestic violence. Okay, okay. It's I, like, I, sure. I, I'm not, like, criticizing you. I'm not, not, no, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm saying it's like, that's how the show treats it. Is that, like, oh, she came this close to learning her lesson. Well, I, I think and... she, she just genuinely can't snap out of it. Like, she, in Mad Love, she talks about it. Like, she realizes how fucked her situation is, but she cannot help but be in love with this psycho- psychotic clown. I know, but even the phrase, like, in love, like, they, I think the show wants you to believe that she's in love with him. That's not really. I think she how is the... in love with him. He certainly and that's is not in love and that's with her. A, and that. And that's an issue. Like, there's, like, the the power relationships with domestic violence situations. Like, that's just, like, a shitty way of framing it. And certainly, I think it's a, like I said, like, I think oversimplifying domestic violence like that for a kid show, even if it's a show that, obviously, people who are not kids can like, I think is, frankly, incredibly irresponsible. And I don't pull that card all that often. I was actually listening to Paul Dini's take on... Uh, the Harley Joker dynamic today, coincidentally. And the way he pitched it is, because uh, he says he gets asked all the time, does Joker actually care about Harley? Does he actually love her? And he said the way he sees it, Joker isn't capable of those kinds of complicated feelings. However, he sees her as his like greatest creation, that he took this... If, if he is a chaotic person, if he is a, a playfully evil person, 
he took this innocent person who was offering love and, and sweetness and whatever, and he twisted her into this criminal and whatever, and he loves what she has become. So it's not that he views her as, like, a possession or anything, because that's a popular take, that, like, he doesn't give a shit about her until someone takes her away from him, and I think that's what Suicide Squad was kind of doing. It's not that, it's that he is offended by the idea that the quote-unquote good person inside her might triumph and come back and that he he is fiercely protective of what he turned her into and it's all still fucked up but i think it's meant to be fucked up in a way that makes you think man joker is fucked up and poor harley i don't think it's supposed to be like a the problem is it 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 gets glamorized as like there are genuinely like teenage girls out there who are like i love harley and joker it's like well you've misread this situation um it is it is an incredibly difficult topic generally and it, it and harley is a hashtag problematic character because that is her legacy that she is intrinsically tied to this story that is very clearly domestic abuse and there is a reason that every comic that's come out in the last at least decade has very clearly been like harley is no longer with joker she almost despises joker she's in a implied lesbian relationship with poison ivy she is mentally healthier now and occasionally they go back to Harley and Joker and it's bad. But, yeah, it, it, it's all very tricky, I think. And I don't want this to see, like, oh... I mean, like, this is not... I don't want them to say, like, oh, you should try to do something that's mature and handles a serious issue. But your margin for error just becomes not impossibly small, but incredibly fucking small. And yeah. you, be- you better know what you're fucking doing. And I don't think they know enough what they're fucking doing. Okay. Uh, I think it's just kind of like, you know, like... You have a har- You have an entertaining character in Harley Quinn. You don't need to do this with her. You don't need to do this with Joker. Like you're, you're going to an area that you just don't need to go to. Like it doesn't. Like you could tell satisfying, entertaining stories with both of them, even involved in the same story related. But they don't have to be in this fucked up domestic violence relationship if you're not going to dye your eyes and cross your teeth with it. Okay. Talking about Mad Love a bit. We're- going to transition this into sort of our favorite and least favorite of these episodes mad love is one that is like incredibly revered by certain people and i actually found the bits the bits that people talk about it is harley sort of telling the story of how she fell for joker i found that the dialogue in that really rushed and and not great the stuff i liked about that episode it was batman getting his way out of being trapped by manipulating the fact that Joker would not allow anyone else to kill Batman but him. And it was him taunting Joker by saying that Harley got closer than he ever did to killing him. I love those moments about it. But overall, I I, I personally wouldn't put it in, in the top ones ever. But which ones would I put there? Um, I don't know how we want to do this. We want to name one each or, or something like that? Yeah, or, okay. that's a good idea. Okay, uh, so... I'll start with one that like doesn't really get brought up a huge amount, uh, and you were actually watching it again before this because you said it sort of washed over you. I really, really, really like Joker's favor, and there are parts of it that are a bit dull, and I will accept that, but the concept of it, that this normal everyday man who is downtrodden and everything, complaining, everything's going wrong for him, someone cuts him off in their car, so he goes, nope, not having it drives up alongside him and cusses out the driver and then realises it's Joker. Joker then runs him off the road and is clearly about to kill him, but instead he asks for an IOU and he 
two years later contact him while he's in witness protection and ropes him into this scheme. And from there, it's like, eh, okay. But the very idea of that, I think, is a great Joker character piece, that he can be so menacing over something so small, and he's terrorising this guy for his own amusement, and it's like, he's very unpredictable, like, you think he's reaching for a gun, and instead he essentially recruits this guy, and it's a silly story, but then you also have this quite actually menacing undertone of, he knew exactly where this guy was, and witness protection, etc., and he was, like, threatening his family. And I like how the episode ends with... It sort of harps to Killing Joke with what he tried to do to Gordon. Uh, this guy, the, the everyman Charlie, it seems like he's snapped and gone insane. And he actually scares Joker and it makes Joker look a little bit snivelling for once. Because he's normally... he Like, he gets foiled by Batman, but overall he's generally a winning character who gets the best of most situations. And then it turns out he's being set up. Charlie's fine. He's positive. Just like Gordon was not snapped by his treatment. And it ends with Batman laughing at Joker. Again, like I, I can see why people wouldn't love this one, but I, the concept, the very, the opening sort of five minutes, I adore about this one. Yeah, I think the version you described is way better than the what actually appears yeah. on screen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do like... Uh, the smallness of the original, of the premise of the story, or yeah. the, what, what kicked off the story, where it's like just a total random moment. Joker just really shows what an awful person he is. Um, it seems to be a common theme here that like they do a lot of ambitious things that let you springboard in your own brain and go some places yes. that you enjoy. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like I said, I actually watched this twice. Yeah. The first time, almost nothing stuck with me. I was like, oh god, I'll just throw this to Matthew tomorrow and then not mm-hmm. even really say a word today I rewatched it and almost the exact same thing happened again okay. I, I think like I just start tuning out halfway yeah. through I'm like oh that guy has the bomb now um, yeah it, it gets um, a bit boring there when like the actual plan is happening but I think they had a hell of a setup, and I do quite yes. like the close but just that middle portion is like eh. <laughs> so yes. uh, what would be one of your favorite ones first one we haven't talked about yet it's the one i told you we had to talk about it is over the edge it's Mm. fucking phenomenal yeah it is it's very Um, intense i uh this is one of the few episodes that i hadn't watched since i was a a legit child and it made such an impact on me that i was just like this is the first time i've seen it since i'm just like yeah we have to watch this episode we have to watch this episode yeah it's still fucking awesome the premise here like the episode starts with gordon and company chasing batman and tim drake robin through the Batcave with gordon screaming bruce and right up like that is how the episode starts You're yeah just like what the hell's going on yeah and you don't know um, for at least like seven minutes <laughs> yeah and the whole premise is is we see barbara batman and tim fighting people in a tall high rat and a tall building barbara eventually goes overboard i think it was uh scarecrow yeah etc 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 and Barbara lands <laughs> on Gordon's fucking car. And then Gordon, you know, acts like just like the kind older gentleman is like, oh, I'm so sorry. We got to get you help. And then he realizes his daughter. He flips out and he decides to blame it all on Batman. Is the implication is that he's so stricken by grief that he thinks Batman actually threw her off the roof? Yeah, you I do think get that brief that moment where you could read it that way because he, Batman yeah. is standing on the edge after punching out Scarecrow. Yeah. But I think and, it's more just he's angry that he implicated yeah. him and never told him that Barbara was working with him. Yeah, that's what I always thought. But something about this time, I was just like, yeah. is that what he actually thinks is going on? Anyway. 
and so Batman and Robin are on the run. Uh, Barbara died. I love how they hid out at Grayson at Nightwing's place. Something about that, especially as a kid who didn't really understand the full mythology of Batman, multiple Robins. I was like very yeah, intrigued yeah, yeah. by Night. <laughs> I was very intrigued by Nightwing as a kid. Like I was just like somehow this opened up a new whole new world to me for reasons that with are his, not quite with his nineties mullet. <laughs> yes, yes, or really eighties for America. Wow, yeah, know, sure. And then I love, you see the scene where Nightwing says, all right, I'm going to go to my place, get supplies, leads to a great fight with the cops. Mm-hmm. Brief, but great. He gets taken into custody. I'm like, wow, shit is fucking going down. There's a, also a great moment with Alfred sacrificing himself, not mortally, but um, yeah. Gordon has a shot at Batman at one point. Uh, Alfred tackles him for all intents and purposes. So Alfred and Robin are, are arrested. Batman tells Tim, you gotta go now. Like, it's too late. Like, it's over. So he sees Tim run off. And then also, like, you know, there's it's crazy how many moments stuck with me as a kid. I was like, Gordon's so possessed by his grief in, yeah. in such a twisted way that he's he's never even sad. And somehow, this feels right. This shouldn't feel right. It should feel rushed. Because again, this is a this is a single shot. This is a one shot. This is not a two parter. No. And so much fucking happens, yeah. and you're just like, where the fuck is this all going? But at at our funeral, Gordon's all business. He's definitely going to show up. He can't not show up to this. I know him. Eventually, it's this big showdown, and they both. Fall, uh, he actually, I for, almost forgot this one. This part I did forget. He actually it breaks Bane out of prison. Yep. Uh, for all intents and purposes, and six Bane on Batman. <laughs> And it ends up in this big fight, great fight with Bane, and eventually Batman and Gordon go off the same exact roof that Barbara was thrown off, and um, just as they're about to crash and die, it turns out that Barbara wakes up, it was the Scarecrow had gassed her with, like, your worst nightmare, and that was what Barbara's worst nightmare was, and Barbara's, like, turns to Bruce, like, I have to tell my father, like, I can't keep this from him any longer, and it ends on this perfect fucking note where Barbara's like, Dad, there's something I have to tell you about what I've been doing. And she's like, yeah, you don't need my approval anymore. It's like, you're your own person. I was like, wow. Yeah. Talk about sticking the fucking landing. Yeah. That was an issue for them in a lot of episodes. Yeah. This is, it's really this, is their, this is their masterpiece. <laughs> right down, like, I even love that, yeah, it's a dream, it's a fake episode, but it wasn't even like, she was just dreaming like we got you know that's what the scarecrow's like good at like the scarecrow used his worst nightmare and what her worst nightmare was was truly truly sad and uh truly gripping and uh yeah this is this is the stuff yeah like new batman this is this is part of the yeah this is a new batman yeah that's what i was gonna say the overall quality is less but they do still have a couple of like really good ones in there so i think that's why it gets packaged in and sort of retroactively remembered as part of it because they could still hit those highs yeah it's a really really good one another one i really love is almost got him which is uh joker penguin two-face killer croc and poison ivy are all playing cards and swapping stories about times they almost got batman and it's it's just five really short stories well four and killer croc says he almost hit him with a rock and they is met with just stares, and they move on, which is funny. I just generally love... It, it's like a Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror, Futurama anthology of interest type thing, where you're cramming three stories or more into one episode. I always love that kind of thing, because they're always kind of what-ifs or a little bit different. 
and individually these stories may not be amazing like poison ivy's thing with exploding pumpkins or gas or whatever it's like okay and two faces one is quite fun where he's gonna like crush him with the giant penny and that's how bruce ends up getting the giant penny that is iconic for the bat cave and then the big reveal is that killer croc was actually bruce in disguise the whole time because dun, dun, dun. Yeah, because joker's story is actually he he saves his to last and it turns out his is actually ongoing in that he kidnapped catwoman and she's going to be dead by morning or whatever and then he's going to mail uh cat food made out of catwoman to bruce and so he's infiltrated this thing to learn where she is from the story and then he goes and rescues her. And then Catwoman almost kisses him. He vanishes. And then she says, almost got him. So you get this sort of additional story on top of all the others. And they do this really... I don't know. I can't decide if it's good or bad. The shot where when it's revealed that Killer Croc is Bruce, this light swings. And in the shadows, it's Batman. And then it swings back and he's Killer Croc again. It's, you know, it's a little bit corny. But I just really like it. I think it's a really good high concept episode and if you watch it back knowing that bruce is killer croc you get this second layer of fun of him doing his killer croc impersonation or whatever i don't think it's a lot of people say this is the best one i don't i wouldn't go that far but i do really really like it yeah that would be the next one i would discuss too it's it's a fun concept episode it doesn't hit the highs of like pretense to dream yeah. or over the edge but um you know it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool little episode the remedial chaos theory of uh, yeah, 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 series. There's another one that's, that's like the best episode of TV ever, maybe. I was going to let you talk about Perchance to Dream. I guess you did earlier a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but... I feel like I did already with that one. Okay. Um, well, but basically, yeah. in what I think... Uh, I, I mean, the Mad Hatter's a little goofy for a movie, but I think what would be a great tr- twist with Scarecrow one day in a movie would be something similar to, similar to this, is that you realize that... the the, the best way to hurt someone is, is not to give them their biggest nightmare, but to give them their biggest dream and then to take it away. Yeah. And here it works doubly as a, uh, you know, a deconstruction of Bruce. He's being held captive by Mad Hatter. He's living, he wakes up. We don't know that he's with Mad Hatter, but he wakes up. He's not Batman. There's no Batcave. Alfred doesn't know what he's talking about. His parents never died all those years ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's just Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy, uh, or actually billionaire fiance to mm. Catwoman. Yeah. But lo and behold, there's a Batman uh, going, running around Gotham and Bruce is becomes obsessed with him. He needs to be Batman. He has to be Batman. It's great. We talked about it before. It's awesome. It's revealed to be all a dream, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bruce is an asshole. Never forget folks. <laughs> See, this is the thing. This is why I wanted to talk about this. I think the best thing about this episode, you can choose which read you want to take on it. I think we have decided which one yours is, in that he can't accept not being Batman, he can't accept a life where he isn't this person. Some part of him doesn't want to be happy, maybe you could read, I don't know if that's your read, but you could make that read. Or the other way you can take it is, his sort of brilliant detective mind is too brilliant, and it forces him to see through the sham of this, and in some ways he's sort of cursed to not be happy because he's too intelligent to fall for something like that. And you get this great detective moment with stuff like he puzzles out that reading and dreaming come from different hemispheres of the brain and he realises he can't read for, for some reason. Uh, and that tips him off that like he's dreaming. 
And I, I do like that. You could take that either way, that it could be a sort of tragically happy story or a tragically sad story. You can't really be tragically happy and tragically sad. But, you know, one is that, like, he just can't help but solve this. And the other is he cannot accept happiness. And I, I do like, like, both are valid, in my opinion. Sure. Sure, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I uh, know, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh... It's obviously an episode that's open for interpretation. And, you know, that's probably art at its best, one might say. Did you have another one you felt really strongly about? No. Okay. I thought a number of these were a mixed bag. Yeah. We'll we'll get onto those in just a second. I just want to say quickly about Heart of Ice. Like, this is one that's, like, award-winning and revered. And I do like it a lot. But I've seen it so many times, it just doesn't have the same impact for me now. Like I appreciate objectively what it did and how great the voice performance is for Freeze and what a good story they're telling. It's just I no longer have that like super strong feeling for it that I would have once upon a time. So it's not that I just have completely neglected Heart of Ice. It's just it's such a known quantity for me that I can't really summon up the ability to talk about it at length here. Yeah, I have nothing really to add. It's a really good episode of the show. Yeah. It feels a little short, but, you know, <laughs> same So what was some from, I mean, obviously, we only watched what are allegedly the best episodes. And, you know, again, this was this was based on, I think, five or six different lists. And they some of them wildly disagreed about which ones are good and bad. But yeah, of the uh, ones we watched, which are ones that you really weren't feeling? I mean, uh, Mad Love was the one I, I hated. Um, you hated Mad I thought Love. That was such, I thought that was bullshit. But let's see. I, I don't think... I didn't hate any others. No. But... I found... Like, to me, it's more that Two-Face, Clayface... A lot of faces. I had Robin's Reckoning. It was like... There was all good things, and there was all things to be like, I can't like fully endorse these episodes as high-quality TV. Yeah. Robin's think... Reckoning was the one I was going to say, but it... <sighs> It doesn't. I think it's just a little dull. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's got a it's couple of really Robin. great moments in. Uh, it's the... about Robin. Who could have figured? Um, hey, <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, I think I, I really is. It's as a Robin's origin story. It's not bad. I think an issue with the Batman Robin dynamic that is that when Batman becomes. I'm a loner, I have to do this alone. Robin becomes a huge brat about it every time, which of course is realistic and understandable, but it's just like, I hate watching brats on TV. Like, I just don't want to deal with brats. Like, life is too full of brats to watch an- yet another brat on television. This is why you won't let us watch anything with a Damian Wayne in it, isn't it? Yeah, I just like... He's king of brats. <laughs> yes, I can only imagine. I... <laughs> Like, he's just too much of a brat. I find it irritating, and I immediately lose interest in what's sure. going on. I just don't think it was a two-part episode, you know? Like, no. It, no. The, the Grayson's death scene is artistically well done, and I do think the end is really touching, with Bruce comforting him, and they, they empathize over this, hey, both our parents are dead. Like, I'm making light of this. But it is actually, I think, really well done and voiced. Uh, but just everything that happens in between there, I just find, I, I just found quite dull, and I was surprised that this is considered one of the best ones personally yeah i don't really the clayface one is like eh. yeah Yeah. but i i as i said i do think that this list of 15 does give you a really broad take because we do have big stories we'd have small stories we've got high concepts we've got wacky characters we've got funnier episodes all sorts and I think what the show did for me as a kid is that um, it made me love the idea of the rogues galleries of like what episodes mm-hmm. this guy, what episodes this guy, mm-hmm. and I'm not as into that anymore. But 
it's cool to kind of look back at something that did it moderately pretty well, um, all things considered. Well, just like, oh, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna focus on this character this time for just because we can. <laughs> well, there are so many superheroes who have got like maybe one good bad guy, and the yes, rest are yes. really bad. And I think Batman's got a super good bad guy, a bunch of pretty good bad guys, and then some that are like they're better than most people. So, yeah, you know, he's got such depth. Um, yeah, um, so I mean, it, like, like when you have Mister Freeze only around for two episodes, like two that's, episodes, and one of them's not very good. <laughs> I mean, he's better than almost any villain in most series like i always think with uh, outside of x-men and spider-man like marvel has a real issue with villains um not just in the, in the movies like i haven't seen many compelling villains from the other characters at all and even the spider-man ones like they kind of like spider-man just feels like a knockoff batman in a lot of ways and that's part of it they're like, um, not they're a, like wackier than batman yeah <laughs> yeah uh, like a little bit more. Yeah, he's considered yeah, like the second best lineup, but like to me, it's it's not close. Like, yeah, it may be a quite a distance between Spider Man's and anyone else's, but like, I don't think he's close to Batman. Yeah, I actually, I think I prefer X Men overall, mm. um, but that's probably just like so Magneto dominated. Yeah, and everyone, that's, every other villain, that's it's the like the sympathetic villain. hero. Uh, villain. Yeah, the sympathetic yeah. villain. <laughs> yeah. And like, but with everybody else in that, it's just like in my head, these villains are amazing. <laughs> in reality, yeah. no one has ever taken the time to <laughs> look at them properly. Like, a few teases of Mystique in X Two X Men United is basically the only thing we have to hang our hat on with uh, great adaptations of any of these villains. How good is she in that film? <laughs> She's very good in all four and a half minutes of actual screen time. But yeah, this yeah. is a. Uh, this was a pretty fun project. Yeah, I, I think so. I just want to, before we close this out, so we've looked at like all of the films, pretty much. No Damien Wayne. That's fine. And, you know, we feel very strongly about some of them. A lot of people, for them, Batman the Animated Series is the best Batman project outside of the actual source material comics. I lean that way. I am sure you would not say that it's better than like the Nolan films, etc. But... Just, I get yeah. I guess what is your like hot take on Batman the Animated Series? If you were trying to rank it against the various films, etc. <laughs> I think when you're doing a project that is covers so much ground, it feels inappropriate to even compare it to anything else because it's so unique. I mean, like you can go from episode like Over the Edge, which is just fantastic, to some genuine shit. If you like, I can't say it's better than Begins or Dark Knight. I think that I think you'd have to be a really, really a much bigger fan of the show than me than <laughs> I am to to say such a thing. I actually think it's most comparable to something like Dark Knight Rises, where it's like it's this big ambitious thing. When it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> and I appreciate the great, and I pre, but I have to acknowledge when it's bad too. And um, hmm. yeah, I. It's like it's like there for me. I mean, like Red Hood's better, for instance. Um, for me personally, that's not up for debate. Like to me, Red Hood is kind of like the full realization of what Batman the animated series could be. I should say. Okay, I I also not sure I would put it above the Nolan the the two really really good Nolan films. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it is almost unfair to compare. Like it's such a different animal. Uh, I love that it exists as a thing to just go to. 
because as I said at the start, like I think its biggest strength is that it can play in every corner of the Batman universe. And I think if it's because like Nolan is a very specific take on Batman, and like if you love that take, awesome. Some people don't like that take. There are people who can acknowledge, yeah, Batman Begins: The Dark Knight are well-written films, but they are just not quite my Batman. And that's fine. Everyone's different. I think there is so much here in terms of variety with Batman the Animated Series that like everyone can find something in there. There will be multiple episodes that like almost everyone would love. So the sort of huge Batman fan I've become over the last sort of year and a half, two years, like I hadn't, I'd read like two Batman comics before like 18 months ago and in the last year I've taken this huge crash course and I now have this greater appreciation for it. So for me now, something like Batman the Animated Series is, I love that it's there for me to just go to and just like pick a random episode. It's like, oh, I know that character, I know that character, blah, blah, blah. I just think it, yeah, like, you, you get kind of the greatest hits of Batman throughout the thing, and, like, yeah, it's problematic, and there are issues where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a cartoon where they had to write however many episodes in however much time, and they were rushed and whatnot. But I love it. I love how ambitious it is. It's my Batman. Kevin Conroy is my Batman. Mark Hamill is my Joker, etc. Uh, so I, I love it a lot, but just, yeah, you can't really fuck with Nolan's uh, <laughs> first two Batman films artistically speaking of which what's next for us because as we said this is the last episode of the tape crusaders proper like we may do one down the line as a one-off etc i mean we'll do we'll do justice obviously obviously uh or if some i don't know maybe as maybe we'll get sick of whatever our next thing is and you'll be like hey maybe we should watch that damian wayne film and then you'll be like oh i hate damian wayne (laughs) i used to hate him too maybe you could also come around um so what's next for us Basically, we are going to take a week off from audio in order to, A, let everything breathe, and B, curate a a ranked list of everything that we have covered in these episodes. Uh, so, all the films that we've discussed, uh, not Batman the Animated Series, though, that will be left off. But in terms of the, the film projects we have watched in this podcast... Uh, not counting New Frontier, I'm going to say, because that's a Justice League film, really. But yeah, we're going to make a big list and give like a really short reason why we put it here. Mike and I both ranked them. I then aggregated our rankings and generated an overall one. And yes, so there will be some controversy about where some things landed on the list. But yeah, we will have that ready for you uh, when the podcast would normally air next week. And then after that, it's Logan time, everyone. Yeah, so we will very temporarily dust off Mike and Matt's excellent adventures. And that will probably be, we won't be back for that um, series until at least 2018. If ever. Yeah. Who knows what's happening. Actually, I take that back. We'll be back like a month later when Legion finishes. But after that. Oh, yeah. Legion, yeah. After that, we won't (laughs) be back for a really long time. Sure. With Mike and Max, excellent adventures as, you know, Deadpool hasn't even been written yet. That's true. I guess we're closing the door for now. It's not locked. It's closed, though, uh, on Batman. The Tape Crusaders, as an ongoing series, is now finished. We will have that big list for you. No podcast episode next week. Then it'll be Legion. And then we've actually got a couple of cool ideas lined up for the future, which uh, you know we'll get into more at the time, and we will announce what's going to happen in, in the immediate future uh, when we do the Logan episode. 
I guess. Uh, so for now, go everywhere. YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, everywhere. Talk about the show. Like the show. Do what you want to do with the show, really. And uh, we will see you uh, for Logan in two weeks. And uh, look forward to our hot content for this hot hashtag brand with the Batman list. I've been Matt, lover of, of Batman. And you've been Mike, who I guess has thoughts on Batman. Yes, I, I like Batman. You like I'm, Batman. I'm, think, I'm thinking of a great intro for something that we're going to do this summer. That's all. I'm sorry. Cool, cool. Good to know you are <laughs> focused on the project. Okay. <laughs>